Hello, conspiracy theorists, and welcome to episode three of the local horrors of the Bay Area. I'm Angie. And I'm Micaiah. Today we'll be talking about the infamous Zodiac Killer who terrorized Northern California in the late 1960s to early 1970s. His identity was never discovered. After purchasing a Zodiac watch, he gave himself the pseudonym in a series of almost two dozen taunting letters that he sent to various Bay Area press outlets. There are seven confirmed victims, and two of those survived. However, he claims to have taken many more lives. Here are the confirmed murders. Number one, Lake Herman Road, Benicia, December 20th, 1968. High school students David Faraday, 17, and Betty Lou Jensen, 16, went out on their first date. At some point during the date, they pulled off to the side of Lake Herman Road. Around 11 p.m., they were shot and killed in their parked car. Betty died on scene, and David died on the way to the hospital. That's, that's terrible. I mean, they're younger than we are. This makes me want to avoid driving at night more than I already do. Yeah, same. It's just very, very creepy. <laughs> All right, number two. Blue Rock Springs Park, Vallejo, July 4th, 1969. Darlene Fern picked up her friend, Michael Maggio, and she parked her car in the Blue Rock Springs parking lot. Around midnight, a vehicle pulled up into the parking lot, left, and returned minutes later. A man got out, shined a light at them, and shot into the car. At 12.40 a.m. and a call eventually traced to a payphone at a gas station, a man called the Vallejo police and claimed responsibility for the shooting, as well as the Lake Herman Road murders seven months earlier, saying, I also killed those kids last year. Darlene died, but Michael survived. Michael was able to give a description of the man who shot them, saying that he was young, white male, between 26 and 30 years old, around 200 pounds, or possibly even more, and 5'8", with brown curly hair. The unidentified subject is white and in his late 20s. He's someone you wouldn't notice at first. That seems like the typical description for serial killers. Exactly. I'm sorry. I had to. If you understand that reference, I applaud you. (laughs) July 31st, 1969. The San Francisco Chronicle, the San Francisco Examiner, and the Vallejo Times-Herald all received identical letters from the killer that each included one-third of a 408-symbol cryptogram that supposedly held his identity. The letters also described aspects of the murders that hadn't been released to the public. Symbols? That's a bit cheesy and time-consuming. I mean, doesn't this guy have, like, anywhere to be? I don't know. Maybe he just really enjoyed making cryptograms. I don't know. The killer demanded that the cryptograms be printed in the next day's issue, or he would, quote, cruise around all weekend, killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again, until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. The letters were signed with a crosshair-like symbol used on Zodiac brand watches. This symbol became known as the sign of the Zodiac killer. Further, The letters were described by a psychiatrist as written by someone you would expect to be brooding and isolated. Kind of sounds like your typical serial killer to me. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, what serial killer isn't brooding and isolated? And we're we're journalists. Would you publish the letter? Well, I mean, I don't I don't know because if you published it, you're gonna create all of this like fear in the public and everyone's gonna be freaking out. But then if you don't publish it, what if he does end up killing people? Yeah, it's a it would be a tough situation. Yeah, exactly. Um, that level of ethics is something I hope to never deal with. Yeah, same. The Chronicle published the letter in the next day's edition and quoted the Vallejo police chief, Jack E. Stiltz, who requested more information to prove the writer's identity as the killer. A few days later, on August 4th, the San Francisco Examiner received another letter from the killer as a response to the request for more information. This time it started with, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. Thus, the pseudonym was born. On August 8th, Donald and Betty Hardin of Salinas, California, cracked the cryptogram sent in the first batch of three letters. It said, quote, I like killing because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. Dot, dot, dot. This is me cutting out information because it's very long. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise and those I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or stop my collecting of slaves for afterlife. Okay, first of all, that's not even all of the letter, and that's, like, the worst run-on sentence I've ever seen. I think I lost brain cells just, like, reading that. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And slaves? Collecting slaves for paradise? I don't think he's going to paradise. Yeah, I don't think so. Like, murdering high school students? Uh, no. And, of course, he didn't give them his name. I mean, a basic, each symbol is a letter. Cipher is not that hard to crack. And if I got that letter, I would have known that he wouldn't have been stupid enough to give his identity away so easily. Lake Berryessa, September 27, 1969. A man wearing an executioner-style hood and the zodiac symbol on his chest tied Cecilia Shepard and Brian Hartnell up and stabbed them. Brian described the man as 5'8 to 6 foot, heavy set, 225 to 250 pounds, and dark brown curly hair that he saw through the eye holes in the mask. Discovered on Brian's car was a zodiac symbol with this message. Vallejo 12-20-68-7469, September 27th, 69, 6.30, by knife. All written in different lines. That is scary. I mean, now you know that this is for sure connected to all of the other crimes. Because he's, he's listing... Well, actually, if you think about it, that could be another guy trying to connect it to the crimes. I'm sure they had other evidence, like DNA or something, to link this to the Zodiac for sure. 
Yeah, it's a little weird that this is the first time he's actually writing something, like, at a crime scene. He hasn't done that in any of the other ones. You know, maybe he's just getting a bit better at killing. He's like, you know, I have some extra time. Let's go write something scary on this guy's car. (laughs) Presidio Heights, San Francisco, October 11th, 1969. At the intersection of Washington and Cherry, the Zodiac was a passenger in a cab and shot the driver, Paul Steen, killing him. He ripped off a piece of Steen's shirt tail, wiped down the car, and left. A neighbor who witnessed the crime described him as a white male, 25 to 30 years old, 5'8 to 5'9, stocky with a reddish-brown crew cut and heavy-rimmed glasses. However, the police dispatcher incorrectly identified the man as African-American. San Francisco PD, you guys suck. Seriously. Like, are you kidding me? Two cops saw a guy that matched the description, describing him as 35 to 45 years old, 5'10", with a crew cut. But because he was white and they were looking for a black man, they didn't stop him and he vanished into Presidio Park. That is just sad. You almost had him. Seriously. And you just let him get away. That must be so frustrating for, like, everyone involved. Like, they literally saw him enough to give him a description. That is just so sad. I would not be able to forgive myself if I was a cop or an FBI agent and that just went straight by me. Like, I would feel so guilty. On October 14th, the San Francisco Chronicle received another Zodiac letter that contained the piece of Paul Stein's shirt tail, proving he was the killer. He also threatened to attack a school bus, saying he would, quote, just shoot out the front tire and then pick off the kitties as they come bouncing out, end quote. Okay, that's, well, that's creepy. That's terrifying. But also, why would, why, what's this the purpose of ripping someone's shirt tail? Like, what, what, what? I mean, I think he just needed to use it as, like, evidence that, yeah, the, this guy sending the letters, I'm the actual killer. Because they can do, like, DNA testing and probably, like, figure out that it belonged to Paul Stein just because of, like, the blood and everything. All right, yeah, yeah, that's fair. On November 8th, the Zodiac sent another cryptogram that was never decoded. We now interrupt our regularly scheduled programming for a message from Angie from the future. Little did we know that literally two days later, the FBI would confirm that the cryptogram had been decoded by an international team of amateur codebreakers. They had 51 years to crack it, and they did it two days after we recorded. Anyway, here's what the old Zodiac had to say. Quote, I hope you are having lots of fun in trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I'm not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise, so they are afraid of death. I am not afraid because I know that my new life will be an easy one in paradise death. End quote.
So for a little bit of context, someone claiming to be the Zodiac made a call to a talk show on KGO TV a month earlier and said, I need help. I'm sick. I don't want to go to the gas chamber. So this is proving that the person claiming to be the Zodiac and calling into that talk show actually was not the Zodiac. Something that really stands out to me about this message is the fact that it says, I now have enough slaves to work for me. So he's implying that he doesn't need to kill anymore because he has enough slaves, so his work is done. And I find this very interesting because it actually ties into the theory that I personally believe, which I bring up later in this podcast. Alright, this is Angie from the future, temporarily signing off. And he sent another letter on the 9th, where he wrote about an encounter with police three minutes after he shot Stein. Then, on the one-year anniversary of his first murder, he mailed another piece of Stein's shirt. He continued to send letters, and in his last one, in 1974, he claimed to have killed 37 people. Are you serious? That's a lot more than what the police has on record. Oh my gosh, there's only like four confirmed murders. I think that's how many it was, right? Presidio Heights, Lake Berryessa, um, Blue Rock Springs Park, and Lake Herman Road. I said that was seven victims, and two of those survived. So he claimed to kill 37 people? That is just absolutely insane. Here are some cases that could possibly be the doing of the Zodiac, but are unconfirmed. On June 4th, 1963, which was five years before the first confirmed murders, Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards skipped school on their senior ditch day and went to a beach in Gaviota, which is near Santa Barbara. They were found dead in a crumbling shack, and they had been bound with rope and shot with a 22 caliber weapon. The ammunition used was Winchester Western Super X ammunition, which, may I just mention, that's a little reference back to our first episode, <laughs> which was the same ammunition used in the murders of Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday on Lake Herman Road. There were also similarities to the Lake Berryessa attack, and this case was connected to the Zodiac in 1972 by the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department. That had to be the Zodiac. I mean, two people killed. How many serial killers are in just the Bay Area? Exactly. And it seems like he's targeting couples. Yeah. The second one, 18-year-old Sherry Josephine Bates, was found murdered on October 31st, 1966. On the scene of the crime, a man's Time Time X watch, a print from a military boot, and a few hairs in dried blood on the victim's hand were found. Okay, now, hear me out. A Time X watch was found on the scene of the crime, and Zodiac is a watch brand, right? 
So I have a theory that the Zodiac left his watch on purpose and he upgraded to the Zodiac brand to show that he was evolving as a killer. And that's where he got the inspiration for the name and the symbol. I mean, yeah. I think it's obvious that it's connected to the watch. So I don't think that this theory is too much of a stretch. It is really weird that this one serial killer had an obsession with watches. Like, I don't think there's going to be two. Exactly. But you never know. I mean, come on. And it's a men's Timex watch, so it clearly wasn't um, Sherry's watch. So it had to have been the Zodiac. Another notable case occurred near Modesto on March 22nd, 1970 where Kathleen Johns and her infant daughter were motioned to pull over by a man in another car. He explained that Kathleen's back wheel was loose and offered to fix it. Instead, he loosened the wheel and it fell off later, so he offered to drive her to a gas station and had her get into his car. He passed multiple gas stations and made threats to her baby, and Kathleen jumped from the car with her daughter and hid in a nearby field until the man gave up looking. From a police sketch, she identified the man as the Zodiac. Okay, I don't know about you, but I would not have gotten in the car with that guy. I mean, I wouldn't have pulled over to the side of the road when he motioned me over in the first place, which is kind of what got her into that situation. Maybe this is because I've been watching way too much Criminal Minds and True Crime, but you know, if I'm not going to get murdered, maybe it's for the best. Yeah, I... If I... If that happened to me, I might have, like, pulled over just because I'll be, like, confused or concerned. But if they, if I saw them, like, working on my tire, I'd be like, wait, hold up. Let me call an adult, a real adult that knows what's happening to see yeah. if this is okay. Exactly. And if I didn't feel, like, a loose tire on my car, if, like, the balance of the car wasn't off in any way, I think I was like, yeah, your wheel is loose. I'd be like... I don't think so, and just drive off, I'd be like, heck no, I'm not getting murdered today. But it's also kind of badass that she jumped out of a moving car with her baby. Literally, with her baby, and she hid in a field, and he gave up because he couldn't find her. Like, stealth mode, 300. That is awesome. For real, yeah. Alright, now let's go over some suspects. Suspect 1, Earl Van Bess, Jr. This theory was presented in the book The Most Dangerous Animal of of Them All, which was written by Bess's son. First of all, Bess resembles the police sketch from the Paul Stein killing, but not the heavy set and large description of the Zodiac in the other killings. There was a handwriting match initially, but was later found out that Best handwriting sample that was compared to the Zodiac letters were actually someone else's handwriting and not his. So the match was no longer evidence against him. That's just sad. What? How do you get handwriting wrong? So apparently what happened is they used, um, as best handwriting sample, they used, like, a marriage license, I think. Um, And apparently a priest had actually written his name and everything else on the marriage license so it wasn't his handwriting even though it was in an official even though it was an official document okay that makes 
more sense. Mm-hmm. All right, and lastly, best name matches the number of characters in the My Name is Cypher. Okay, I don't think that there's too much evidence here. Since the author of the book that presents this theory is Best Son, I think he was just trying to implicate his dad as a publicity stunt to make some money off of that book. Because there really isn't anything here. And the reason why he's a main suspect isn't because of evidence. It's just because of popularity from a book. Yeah, I'm not sure about this guy either. It's always interesting to me when there's like a, a either child or grandchild of the person that's suspecting them for like serial killing. Because I feel like that happens a lot based on what I've seen in, like, BuzzFeed Unsolved videos. Mm-hmm. So it makes me, I don't know, makes me a little, believe a little bit more that it's because it's his son that's saying it. Mm-hmm. But not, but this doesn't look like he has much evidence. Like, if he was like, I remember my dad coming home covered in blood, I'd be like, okay, that's a little bit suspicious, but he just says, that his dad looks like the police sketch, so. I'm always a little bit cautious of the um, the suspects that are kind of big in pop culture, just because I feel like pop culture sort of latches onto other things besides evidence. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not too sold on this guy at all. That's fair. Okay, our second suspect is Arthur Lee Allen. This theory is presented by Robert Gray Smith, who was a political cartoonist at the San Francisco Chronicle, which got a bunch of letters, and wrote two books heavily implicating Arthur Lee Allen. On the day of the Lake Berryessa murders, Allen told his family he was going there to scuba dive. He arrived home covered in blood with a bloody knife in the car. The two victims that day had been stabbed. Apparently, Allen also referred to himself as the Zodiac Killer before the killer did. Okay, awkward. First of all, if he's not the killer, awkward that he has the same name. Then he has to be like, sorry guys, you can't call me that anymore. I, there's a serial killer and also covered in blood. I mentioned this before really suspicious yeah exactly and i mean with this one he literally said that he was going to the location where the people were murdered so i mean if you just like randomly show up at home covered in blood yeah suspicious but when you're connected to that that location as well uh, that's too sketchy to be a coincidence yeah alan also told his friend that he wanted to hunt people with a gun and a flashlight taped to it. Oh, oh my god. Oh, and if you can remember, back in, I believe it was the Blue Rock Springs murder, the killer shined a light into the car before he shot into it. Oh my god. Sketchy. Alan was interviewed three times by police, and he said that his favorite book was The Most Dangerous Game, which was referenced in the first Zodiac letter. He also owned a Zodiac brand watch, 
and was identified by Michael Majo from the Blue Rock Springs murder. Come on. That's, wow. Yeah. Okay. This guy, yeah, I might believe that this guy is, is a Zodiac killer. He's so suspicious. Exactly. And there was also, um, so there was a bloody fingerprint that was left in the car, in the, in the cab for the Paul Stein murder, but the Zodiac in one of his letters said that he planted this fingerprint to throw them off. Even, so apparently this guy, Arthur Lee Allen, his fingerprint was not a match to the one that was left in the car, but if he had left the fingerprint um, on purpose, then it makes sense that it doesn't check out because it's supposed to be throwing the police off his tracks. Yeah. He's either very into serial killers and specifically the Zodiac killer, or he is it. Either way, he's creepy as heck. Yeah, this guy is just super sketchy. All right. Another suspect, Lawrence Kane K. Kane was involved in a car accident in 1962, which resulted in brain damage that caused him to begin, quote, losing the ability to control self-gratification. King can be found in the letters in the My Name is Cipher, and there are three symbols that are eights with circles around them. Eight times three equals 24, and Kane was born in 1924. I personally think that this is a load of you-know-what, because first of all, ciphers are not a word scramble. Each letter or symbol represents a letter in the alphabet, so the letters used to form Kane actually represent other letters and the eight times three thing is absolutely stupid yeah this one is definitely a stretch i hate the eight times three it's like those videos that were popular for a while where it would, they would connect anything to anything mm-hmm the they would just like count like... the number of a's or something i was like yeah. oh my god exactly there's a lot more evidence coming up though which I think you will find very interesting. All right, the sister of the Zodiac's second victim, Darlene Fern, said that Keane had stalked her in the weeks leading up to her murder. Keane also fits into the age range of the man seen by Officer Don Pope in the Paul Stein murder, 45. Out of all the pictures shown over the years, Keane was the closest to the man Pope had seen. Keane also lives close to where Paul Stein was picked up by the Zodiac. Quick clarification, Kane also lived close to where Paul Stein picked up the Zodiac. What if Kane was just walking by the scene because it was near his house? Like, that guy walking by on the street didn't necessarily have to be the killer. So the cop could have seen Kane, but he didn't see him actually committing the crime, so that doesn't automatically make him the Zodiac. Yeah, it is a little, it's creepy that um, he was stalking Darlene. That makes him a little higher up on my suspect list. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's very odd. But the thing is, the earlier guy, um, Arthur Lee Allen, 
he more so resembles um, the sketch from the earlier cases. And this guy, he resembles the police sketch from the guy walking on the street. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little odd. Yeah. And the Vallejo PD said that the investigation placed Kane in the, the location where several of the Zodiac victims lived or were killed. In 1970, Kane moved to South Lake Tahoe, the same year that a possible Zodiac victim went missing. Kane worked at the same hotel as the victim. During the Kathleen Johns case, where she was in the Zodiac's car, she was able to see the Zodiac's face for much longer than the other victims. Like one of the earlier victims who picked out Alan from a lineup, she identified Kane as her attacker. I, you know, if Kathleen said that this guy was the guy, I believe her. I mean, she was in the car, like, staring at his face. Like, yeah. that's with the hood on, because he was clearly planning on killing her. So, I, I believe her on that one, for sure. Yeah. There's evidence against him, like, he doesn't match the large, heavyset description from earlier cases. I think there's an explanation for that, though, which transitions us into our final thoughts. So I think the Zodiac had a copycat. The last two guys both seem like they were definitely both killers based on all the evidence, and that evidence links them to crimes in different time periods and areas. So I think Alan was the first killer since he was identified by people who were attacked in earlier cases, and then Kane was a copycat killer since he was identified as Kathleen's attacker, a case that happened later and isn't confirmed as an actual Zodiac case, maybe because it's, you know, lack of DNA evidence or whatever it was, but maybe it wasn't connected to the Zodiac because it wasn't a Zodiac case. Ooh, it was the copycat. And Kane was also attached to that possible Zodiac case in Tahoe. And with the same logic, that case fits into this theory really well because the Tahoe case is a, another possible Zodiac since it bears some resemblance to the other cases, which copycat cases will obviously have. And again, maybe it couldn't be linked to the other ones as a for sure Zodiac case with DNA or handwriting evidence because it wasn't done by the original Zodiac. It was just Kane as a copycat. Future Angie speaking. So this is where that newly cracked cryptogram comes in. Since the message implies that the Zodiac would stop killing because he'd collected enough slaves, and it was sent about a month after the final confirmed murder, this fits right into my theory of Arthur Lee Allen stopping after the Paul Stein murder and Kane taking his place as a copycat for the later Kathleen John's kidnapping and Tahoe disappearance. I'm even more confident in this theory now. Anyway, future Angie, signing off again. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that the first guy probably wasn't him. The uh, Beast, not Beast, Best, who was just suspected by his son. It seems like it wasn't him. And it would make a lot of sense that there would be a copycat just because of how the the details in each of the killings changed slightly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
And then also, this case was just such a big case in the media, and it was so popular. I mean, okay, I'm going to mention Criminal Minds again. I'm so sorry if you are getting annoyed by this, but you know what? It is what it is. This is a crime case, so I'm, I'm going to mention it. Final clarification. So I did a little bit of post-research, and the information you're about to hear is definitely correct, even though it is from a TV show, because the writers actually consult with criminal profilers to ensure that this information is factual. So I noticed in the show that cases didn't even have to be super popular, like in media and pop culture, for there to be copycat killers. So the fact that this one was so popular and so many people knew about it, I think the chances of there being a copycat killer just shot up exponentially. Yeah, and there's obviously both of, both Kane and Alan were, like, they didn't see this in the newspaper and was like, oh, that looked fun. They were obviously thinking about killing people before any of this came out. Mm -hmm. So it must have just been, like, initiative to I guess kill more people yeah that's scary I mean I guess if you're a if you're a psychopath or a sociopath I honestly I still don't know the difference between a psychopath and a you know what let's look that up this is our you know just just a little fun fact okay so a psychopath doesn't have a conscience and therefore feels no remorse and a sociopath does have a conscience and therefore is capable of feeling remorse. Interesting. So, I mean, there really wasn't any evidence of remorse in here, so I'd probably say that he was a psychopath. I, you know, I feel like if you're a psychopath and you see other people, like, in the media kind of acting out on those urges, then you're probably more likely to be like, hey, somebody understands me and then go out and do the same sick thing yeah it's creepy that I think it would be a little more comforting if there was one killer because then you'd say oh there's one bad guy but it makes more sense that there were two and that's that's what's most concerning but Exactly. I think people are so fixated on finding the one killer because just so many famous cases, it's sort of, um, they, they create a name for the killer. I mean, in this case, the Zodiac created his own name, but a lot of people will be like, oh, let's call him the, the office part killer if he murders people coming out of their jobs. I don't know. But people are just so fixated on coming up with names and kind of turning turning it into a myth almost and god i can't even think straight what am i trying yeah to like separating themselves from the the killings like oh that that wouldn't happen because that was just like a, such a bad person over there or back then or something yeah exactly and they're yeah they're just so i feel like people are very fixated on just yeah one killer we need to find the one killer so I think it's very easy to overlook this theory if you're getting, you know, too sucked into, like, not not that this is fun in any way, but, like, the fun of trying to figure out who the killer is. Yeah. All right. Goodbye.
conspiracy theorists and people who are just genuinely scarred from that whole topic from today. <laughs> yeah. I know I am. See you next time when we talk about Hicks Road. <laughs>